0: Monster! Hey, how's it going everybody, this is Chris Welcome to episode 4 of WebLast Where we're going to take a look at uh, Well, the last actual Spidey book that I have by my side um, I do have the next month's uh, sitting in my mailbox right now Unfortunately, I live in Arizona where we don't have mailboxes at every house It's like, we have this like neighborhood mailbox gimmick Where um, I have to like walk a quarter of a mile to check my mail So uh, UPS dropped off my DCBS package there instead of at my door So um, at some point today I'm going to have to head up to the box And uh, yank my box from the box And bring the box to the house to where I can open the box And pull out... I've already said too much Let's hop right in to today's issue This is Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 78 Had a January 2022 cover date and a legacy number of 879 Story is, a, well, it's untitled inside the book, like all of these books have been so far, but on the cover it does say Beyond Chapter 4. Written by Kelly Thompson, with art by Sarah Pacelli, with Jim Toe? Tau? Don't know. Colors, Nolan Wooded, with Rachel Rosenberg. Letters, VCs, Joe Caramagna. The BBs are Ziegler, Ahmed, Wells, Gleason, and Thompson. Edits, Kohik, McGehee, Lowe, and Sobolski. Cover price, $3.99 dollars 99 this one went on sale November the 3rd of 2021. And uh, just from looking at the credits there, I was uh, a little worried that maybe this weekly uh, workload might have already caught up to our, uh, our team here. We have assists on the art, assists on the colors, and whether or not this was built into the uh, scheduling, I really couldn't say. I will say, though, uh, to put the cart before the horse, um, I didn't notice any, you know, lesser quality here. Nothing seemed rushed. Everything seems top flight, so, um, let's hop into the story. Now, we pick up right where we left off. Spider-Ben has just been bit by Morbius. And, uh, that cliffhanger guess I made last episode turned out to be, well, completely wrong. Well, maybe not completely, but not right enough to be considered wrong. Now, if you haven't listened to last episode, I assumed that Ben's Beyond brand spider suit would have had some sort of anti-vamp properties. Seeing as though the big brains at Beyond seem to be prepping the costume based on whatever the threat is. We saw it with the UFOs, right? We saw that they kind of set Ben up to counteract all of the UFOs' powers. And I thought maybe they did the same thing here with Morbius. And while the suit does have, like, self-sealing properties, it doesn't actually counteract the big bite. So Beyond, Ben's been bitten. So what does this mean? Well, we'll get there. But as for now, we've got a fight scene to continue to play out So we got Morbius, right? I mean, he is the threat He bites Ben, but he then cries out that it's not working What does that mean? Well, Ben thinks back to a time where Morbius had bitten Peter with the express purpose of attempting to heal himself from something or another And Ben assumes that this might be a similar situation He hopes that if it's his blood that the vamp's after, maybe he can, you know, skidoo and get Morbius to give chase. And so he swings all the way back to the gilded cage of the Beyond building. And sure enough, Mikey Morb did in fact follow him there. Now Ben gets inside, but he calls out for Morbius to remain on the balcony while he tries to get some help. And he warns that the Beyond brand security ain't no joke. Morbius decides not to heed this warning, and he attempts to enter anyway, which... Literally, costs him an arm, and by that I mean a laser literally blasts Morb's left shoulder, which severs his left arm, which plops to the ground with a thud. No real gore here, so uh, perhaps the laser cauterizes while it cuts, which would be pretty handy, I suppose. From here, 80% of Morbius flees the scene, and Spider-Ben faints into Janine's arms. In just about no time flat, some Beyond agents swarm the scene to pick up the mess which is to say they bring Ben to the doctor and they tag and bag Morbius' left arm and apparently his left nipple as well. That was part of the uh, the meat that fell to the ground, I suppose. Then our pal Marcus Pompelier pops in to tell Janine that she cannot join Ben in the infirmary and so it's back to the gilded couch with her. We jump ahead to the med facility where Ms. Danger is overseeing the examination of Ben. And it's here where things begin to get weird-er. Now, we've got a doctor here, a Dr. Bailey. And he expresses the urgency of pumping some, like, anti-vamp into Ben, like PDQ. Like, right away. Danger stops him. She suggests that they hold off for just a bit. She posits that, uh, you know, who knows how a vampire bite might affect Spider-Man. Could it wind up giving him some sort of vampiric spider abilities? And, I mean, the scariest part here is uh, that she's not joking. I mean, it sounds like a joke, right? Is he going to be a vampire spider? I mean, that sounds like a joke. But she's deadly serious, and also, even more dangerously, deadly curious. Now, she really wants to find out how this might play out. And I tell you, for a minute here, I thought they were actually going to leave the vamp venom in there. She ultimately winds up thinking better of it and reluctantly tells the doc to proceed with the, you know, pumping in with the antitoxin. She then orders the Beyond B team to further engage with Morbius. But first, we shift over to McCarthy Medical, where Black Cat has just entered Peter Parker's darkened hospital room. She sits at his bedside and takes Pete's hand, and he wriggles a finger and and his eyes open a little bit. Uh, Felicia has that effect on many a man. Though I could have sworn we had just read over in X-Lapsed, the uh, Marvel's Voices episode, that she's going to start dating Jesse Drake. I-, I guess those stories really don't matter. Anyway, Mary Jane walks in on this scene, which causes Felicia to go full-on apologetic. MJ tells her not to worry about it, and suggests that she would share the room with any number of Pete's former lovers if it meant that he would regain consciousness. And at this point, I gotta ask, um, what exactly is Peter and Mary Jane's relationship at this point? Are they dating? Did they get married again? And I missed it. Uh, was there a one more? Was the one more day recon reconned? Anybody want to help a brother out? I really don't know. Anyway, MJ is ultimately cool with Felicia sticking around, but she suggests that it would probably be the wise play if uh, she changed into her civvies just in case anyone were to walk in because it might be a little weird to see uh, and try to explain away the fact that the black cat is a uh, you know sitting at the bedside. Alright, now, let's head back to Beyond and check in with the B-team A.K.A. the Daughters of the Dragon As they take on 80% of Michael Morbius For about four pages they fight Which allows for Thompson to give us a bit of banter betwixt them And we get some confirmation that there are Beyond-brand drones Watching this scene play out And these aren't like secretive, nebulous, uh, you know, villain cameras Like we talk about sometimes These are in plain sight This is just the way that Beyond does things the DOD know all about it. They're not happy about it, but they play their part. Now, the struggle comes to a close, with the ladies pinning Morbius down with a spinneret. But then, uh, the Beyond drone gets blasted. But by who? Or, or whom? Is it, is it who or whom? Um, I, I, could, I have a very, very tenuous grasp on the English language. I don't know which is which. Anyway, whichever it is, we don't have to wait long, because as soon as we turn the page we see that that blast came from Monica Rambeau. And the DoD aren't exactly surprised to see her. In fact, it seems like they were expecting her. And Monica asked them what they've learned so far. All right, so from the little bit of research I did on the Beyond Corporation back in episode one, we found out that their first appearance was way back in Next Wave, number one. Now, Monica, of course, was part of that book, and so maybe we're going to get some more Next Wave stuff? You know, Marvel has always been a bit nebulous as to whether or not Next Wave was ever in continuity. Maybe we'll get some confirmation soon. Or maybe we already have, and I've missed it. Anything's possible. Our main takeaway from this scene, though, is that uh, Colleen and Misty are reporting their findings about Beyond to Monica. Scene shift to our final scene, where Ben and Janine are finally having their date night. They're leaving a movie theater and talking about how nice it is to be able to get away from Ben's Beyond duties for a night. And they stop in the park to share a kiss. A kiss that's being watched by nearby pervert, Craven the Hunter. And that is where we leave it. Uh, Next episode, it's our first Dot Bay-ish. This is uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 78.bey. Now, it's worth noting, perhaps, for people like me, the Dot Bays do not come with legacy numbering. Also, this one in particular is written by Jed McKay, who is not part of the Beyond board. And it's also $5. You remember when Marvel announced or introduced the point system, like the point ones and stuff? And the whole point of that, well, no pun intended, was that they were going to be cheaper. (laughs) They were going to be jumping on points. So if you didn't follow, say, Spider-Man, you could get, you know, Spider-Man number yada 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 point one, for a buck cheaper, and it would give you a little bit of a, a uh, little bit of a catch-up, you know. It would give you the exposition you need in order to continue along with the series should you decide to. We're kind of going the other way with the dot issues now, aren't we? But you guys know me; I am all in, so I will be here for it. And actually, the next couple of episodes are going to be uh, McKay heavy because we're going to do the Dot Bay, and then we're going to hop into Death of Doctor Strange, Spider-Man number one, which. From taking a peek at the last page of that one, says that Spidey's story continues in Spider-Man 79. So uh, I figure this is where it'll fit. But we'll get there when we get there. Let's talk about this issue. And I suppose uh, you know, stop me if you heard this one before, but uh, there's still some great stuff. <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, as I said in the uh, last episode, the overarching story here continues to be built, and we're getting these bits and pieces to keep the story flowing. We're getting just enough, right? We're getting just enough to keep a forward momentum, but they're not giving everything away, so we still have plenty of mystery. Also, like I said last episode, I've got a couple of takeaways here. One pretty big takeaway, and this one is probably, or definitely, less subtle than the Flowers for Algernon riff last time, but definitely something worth discussing and definitely something worth giving a little bit of an opinion on, before we see how it plays out. And that would be uh, Maxine Danger's uh, less-than-on-the-level ethical attitude. Um, The fact that she thought it was okay, even as a fleeting curiosity, to leave the vamp venom in Ben really speaks to her character as well as her motivations. Now, she's being portrayed here as being very scientifically curious, not satisfied to simply theorize, She wants to literally apply and bear witness to what might happen should she, you know, actually play out the theory. And, of course, that's not something that's out of the question for a scientist who has a questionable hypothesis uh, that they would like to see play out. Here's the thing, though. Most scientists in our world are bound to a code of ethics. Now, if you listen to X-Lapsed, we talk about this time and again uh, over in X-Lapsed when we look at how Hank McCoy has kind of let his ethics slip to the wayside, right? And I usually use the argument that Hank, a curious scientist with a lot of responsibility resting on his shoulders now finds himself in this new Krakoan normal wherein he has absolutely no one to answer to. As such, he has far more freedom to indulge his curiosity, so long as he can personally justify the result. Beast's portrayal over in the X Force book has actually been one of the more divisive um, situations in the current year X Men books, at least from the longtime fan perspective, where he's engaging in some very unethical behavior. And uh, if you haven't listened to X Laps, I can give you the you know the quick and dirty <laughs> of my thoughts on Beast right here. Um, We've seen Beast over the years being tasked with uh, managing near-extinction-level events. Legacy Virus, the Endangered Species, post-M-Day, Decimation Deal. For the most part, all the research and all the experimentation has been left to him. However, during that era, or those eras, he had to engage ethically. He had people to answer to, and he was unable I mean, there's only so much he could do. And now in Krakoa, where he has no one to answer to, so long as he can justify his behaviors to himself, well, sky's the limit, right? Now, back to this story. We, we don't know much about her, but we might posit that Maxine Danger falls into a similar category. As if to say it's unlikely that she's all that concerned with the, you know, NCBI or the APA. Which, I mean... We're dealing with superheroes, supervillains, vampires here, so it's not exactly an apples-to-apples sort of a situation Now, brief tangent here, uh, when I was working on my psych undergrad, I had to attend several sessions regarding ethics Which, at the time, and I, I, probably at all times, um, is uh, going through some changes It was going through some changes back when I was in my undergrad uh, because of uh, the way the world was changing the landscape of the 20 teens was very different from the 2000s the 90s the 80s certainly and as such um things like ethics had to be redefined or maybe not so much redefined but um uh, reapplied I'm, I'm trying to i'm struggling for the right term here but uh the application of a code of ethics was i don't want to say nebulous <laughs> but it was different it was different here um, One of the more prolific and thought-provoking uh, discussions that we would have in class quite often Had to do with, um, in psychoanalysis, one of the things you could do as a, uh, as a professional Is have a client uh, keep an, an autobiography, basically Keep a journal in order to try to work things back and look for patterns and stuff like that And, of course, ethically, that has to be done with informed consent and understanding that uh, the other party can stop at any time without question. There's a lot that goes into it. But things are different now. Right now, a behavioral health professional, uh, or any professional, or any layman, actually, has access to any number of a potential client's complete social media presence. Now, that raises the question of whether or not access and analysis... Of this information is ethical Like, as if to ask um, If someone volunteers this information For the world at large to see Is that also them giving consent to be analyzed? It's a wildly thought-provoking question At least to me And uh, if anybody out there has any opinions on it I'd uh, I'd love to discuss it further So, is it ethical? Is it even evitable? <laughs> Can you avoid it? It's It's hard to say, isn't it? And of course, you know, we're... <laughs> We're certainly not making a decision of leaving vampire venom in somebody's bloodstream But this is just an indication of how seriously ethics are taken in a clinical setting No matter how hotly debated or context-nebulous a situation is It's, it's a pretty big deal So, back to the book here In viewing Ms. Danger's somewhat cavalier attitude about just, you know, letting things play out here It genuinely makes me wonder where her character might be headed You know, it gives us some questions we can ask. Uh, Did she only relent because Dr. Bailey kind of called her out? Uh, Did she maybe think better of letting it play out? Did she think about what could happen that wouldn't be in anybody's benefit? Or did she just psych herself out? Or are there other things about her that we're just not privy to yet? These are all questions, and they're all interesting questions So definitely something I look forward to seeing play out down the line I think the introduction of this Danger character is really well done so far We've known her for all of, you know, five minutes at this point But I'm already uh, already invested, I'd like to see where this goes I'd like to see what her true motivations are A lesser takeaway here is the reveal that the Daughters of the Dragon are sort of kind of double agents, right? Now, I mentioned back, I believe in episode 2 that it was clear to me that Misty and Colleen would ultimately wind up siding with the Spider if and when the schism between he and the Beyond Corporation were to occur. And this further cements that suggestion. Uh, Like I said during the synopsis, I'm not sure if this is going to tie in with Next Wave lore, right? Or maybe even launch a new look Next Wave overall. That wouldn't surprise me for even a half second, the way Marvel likes to uh, bloat and exploit. I don't know if Warren Ellis would be involved, because... Well, I mean, it's a smart bet that if he were questioned about it, he'd probably claim that he'd never heard of Next Wave. He'd be like, what is that, a superhero book? i never heard of it. He usually does that anytime anybody asks him about a superhero book that he's written. Now, before we wrap up, just a little bit about the art. I mentioned early on that uh, I was a bit concerned when I saw that there were multiple artists, multiple colorists credited on the book. I was worried that the schedule might have gotten too, you know, too tough for the Beyond board already. And, you know, I can say having read the book, I couldn't tell you where any of the fill-in art went. So that's a really good sign here. Hopefully, hopefully the schedule isn't too much of a crunch, and hopefully they'll be able to continue with this, uh, this top-quality work that they're putting out. I, I, like I said, I'm having a really good time with it. I'm not sure how long Beyond's going to run for. Uh, I don't see it going away anytime in the, you know, very, very near future. And uh, at this point, that's just fine with me. That's all I have to say about this issue Let's do some brief back matter here before we go um, Because if you're listening to x Labs, you'll know that I have uh, I've got our little bookend segments, right? We do sales charts at the end of the month We do the Marvel previews first episode of the month, right? I wanted to do something similar here I just don't know if it'll work for this project uh, sales charts, I figure we will start looking at those when we get a little bit closer for the numbers for beyond to start being reported because right now we would just be comparing them to the end of the Spencer run which which I, I don't see as having too much value as data for for this project. Um, we will get to them though as you know beyond numbers start trickling in. Marvel previews though this is a toughie because we're you know primarily dealing with one title. Amazing Spider-Man is the title Of course there will be tie-ins But for the most part, it's just ASM And there's like, skaty 800 issues a month, right? So it's going to be really difficult For us to discuss the solicits without spoiling anything You know, I just flipped through the latest Marvel previews Which has a solicit for Amazing Spider-Man number 90 90? (laughs) We just covered 78 That's 12 numbered issues Not counting dot baves, Not counting other tie-ins That's way, way in the future, so that might just be a little too far in advance for us to talk about without ruining anything. Let me know your thoughts, though, because, you know, as always, your wishes are my command, so I'll leave it up to you guys. If you want me to cover them, we'll cover them. If you don't want me to, we won't. If you want some sort of, like, uh, as-best-we-can-spoiler-free solicits where we just talk about what numbers are coming out, what day they're coming out, and what's on the cover, we'll do that, too. Whatever you want, you let me know. And uh, that'll be the direction we take it in But I think that's where I will zip it for today uh, Don't have any mailbag this time out We are still very young in this project I, I definitely want to hear folks' thoughts about this new take on Spider-Man If you have any answers to the questions that I asked here About the you know, Peter and Mary Jane relationship Maybe some quick and dirty on how we got here I'd love to hear it Please uh, educate me <laughs> If you uh, if you have a few free moments in your day. And uh, if you'd like to do that or talk about just about anything you want, please feel free to reach out. I'm at uh, Ace Comics on Twitter, 90s X Men on Instagram. You can shoot me an email over to Weird Comics History at gmail.com, or you can call into the voicemail hotline at 623 396 Jerk. For blog posts and show notes, you can head to Chris's On com. You could also join the conversation on Facebook. Our little group is. 90s X Men. For the complete audio archives, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com or you can just search it up in any of your favorite and least favorite podcasting aggregate devices and applications. Finally, there is a Patreon That is patreon.com slash xlaps Where you get some exclusive content Behind the scenes stuff A great group of folks to uh, chat with Including Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew in Belfast All amazingly awesome and wonderfully supportive folks who I cannot thank enough But... That's going to do it for now. I want to thank you all so much for sharing some of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll it to you again real soon. See ya.